After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Middle of June, we're into the Stanley Cup semi-finals. I'm still having a little trouble wrapping my head around Stanley Cup semi-finals because normally, Josh, at this time, everyone is insistent that it is it is the conference finals, but that's not how it's working this year because it's a little different. It, it almost feels like the conference finals in the East, at least, but every time you look at the Western Conference Final, or what would be the Western Conference Final, and you see the Montreal Canadiens in there, <laughs> <laughs> something's wrong. Yes, we, we haven't had teams from the East in the Western Conference for a little while. Most recently, I guess it would have been Detroit. There was Toronto for a while that played out West, yep. but I, th I think we've straightened things out geographically. For the most part, yes. So hence the realignment and hence the fact that the North Division has joined the West Division, and it's simply just conference finals or Stanley Cup semifinals because we, we can't have conferences this year. It's just yeah, we, we just can't have nice things. <laughs> that's, that's really it. But there's no shortage of on-ice situations for us to discuss, which is what we're looking for in the Scouting the Refs podcast. Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS. R-E-F-S, on your order at manscaped.com, you will receive 20% off and you get free shipping. Now, for several weeks, we've been mentioning that with warmer temperatures, it's even more important to make sure that all the grooming gets done properly with the right tools from Manscaped. Keeping the hedges trimmed, keeping the lawn cut down to an acceptable level, you feel good, you look good. It's kind of backwards, but it sort of applies in this case, I think. Now, this is something I haven't mentioned yet, but perhaps best illustrates the importance of proper grooming. Tell me what you think, Josh. Okay. The temps everywhere are heating up. We don't need any added insulation at this time of year, especially. And we've also mentioned that it's important for all that occupy the area below the waist. Good grooming makes repeat visits more likely. And to illustrate this point further, we're now into summer beach season. That, of course, means fewer and smaller clothing options. Whether it's boxer, brief, or full-on Speedo, nobody wants to see anything protruding from <laughs> underneath, if you know what I'm saying. We just don't need that. Absolutely. You know, I, I was doing some, some work in the yard over the weekend, and my, my neighbor doesn't properly maintain the hedges in the back. So, you know, we're out there just trying to keep them trimmed. I don't want to see that over my fence. I want a nice good view of, of the environment back there. And, and I don't want to see any undesirable bushes, weeds, trees, things growing over the fence. And I think it's the same thing with your waistband, Todd. <laughs> I, that is exactly it. That's exactly the comparison I was going to use. Don't don't be that guy that everybody points to and whispers about in the neighborhood. Take care of it. Go to manscape.com. Use our code REFS. Get 20% off, get free shipping and be the envy of the neighborhood if you will. I think I think that was certainly what everyone would want to be, don't you? I I think so and you know what, even if you can't share it with the whole neighborhood because it <laughs> it might not be legal depending on where you oh, live yeah, to okay. to let them know. 
know, but uh, at least you can know that you would be the envy of the neighborhood and, and you'll feel a lot better doing so. All right. Don't miss the opportunity. Go to the website now, manscaped.com. Use the code REFS, 20% off and free shipping. We also implore you to make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. We love your emails as well. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com is where to send them. On this week's episode, it's a penalty, but on whom? How many players are supposed to be on the ice at any given time? And the popular favorites, game management, even up calls, and hey, what about a little more video review? I think that sort of captures this week's theme, wouldn't you say, Josh? It does, but no, no, no more video <laughs> review, please. <laughs> All right, well, we'll discuss that as we get deeper into this. So let's go right to the story that has been occupying a lot of people's thoughts. No burying the lead. Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning was penalized for goaltender interference in game two of their semi-final series with the New York Islanders. Point was headed toward the Islander goal. Goaltender Semyon Varlamov was in net. He was pursuing the puck at high speed. It was down in his feet. He's kind of looking for it. And as he neared the Islander goal and was about to get what looked to perhaps be a pretty good scoring chance, he was shoved from behind by Islander defenseman Adam Pellick. A huge collision ensued with Point and Varlamov. All players joined in the post-whistle shenanigans. And when it was done, Dan O'Rourke, Francois Saint-Laurent, gave only one penalty. And that was to Braden Point for goaltender interference. As you can imagine, several post-incident thoughts were expressed by many, when the inevitable occurred, the Islanders scored on the ensuing power play just 20 seconds later. So I guess my first question, Josh, is was this a penalty on Braden Point? No, I, I would not have called a penalty in this situation. I think clearly Point contacted the goalie. So you're, you're looking at it under the guise of goaltender interference. But Rule 69-1 clearly states that an attacking player who's pushed, shoved, or fouled by a defending player is not deemed to have made contact initiated by that attacking player, provided Point, in this case, has made a reasonable effort to avoid such contact. So that's how Rule 69-1 lays it out. That's what I saw on this play, is that Point, given where the contact was made, given the speed that he was skating, given the shove from behind by Pellick, he didn't have any opportunity to move out of the way. I, I wouldn't have seen there was even a chance for him to make a reasonable effort. He was shoved. He went right into the goaltender. So to me, no penalty on the play. Not to point, not to Pellick, who obviously this this was a shove, wasn't interference. We had the puck there. So I'll let them play on. But yeah, no, no call on this one and certainly nothing to point who was effectively the victim on this play. Okay, so I agree with you. There was no penalty that should have been called on Braden Point. I'm 50-50 on Adam Pellick, but I will defer to you and say that, all right, there is no penalty on on Pellick because it was just a, a, a minor shove. So the third question inevitably is, would there have been enough police on site to stop a riot from ensuing if no penalty was called? <laughs> I, I doubt it. I doubt it. The, the officials would have to have the covered walkway to avoid things being thrown at them and escorts to their vehicles on the way out. But it, it, it's certainly it's one of those situations that we've seen where the outcome of the hit looks terrible. You've got a, an injured goaltender on the play. You've got guys down the nets off the moorings. It, it looks like a situation where, of course, you know, there should be a penalty here. But in this case... It's the defending player shoving a guy into his own goalie. I don't understand why they do that. 
actually I do. It's because they get a power play <laughs> like what happened here. <laughs> well, you're right. And I think there was a bit of a social media exchange about that. As a matter of fact, why would they stop? Because it resulted in a power play for the New York Islanders. And and this is what the, the frustration comes is, is because of this, that I understand your point. It's a big collision. It looks like there should be a penalty, but there shouldn't be a penalty in this case. And it only makes it look worse when the Islanders score on the power play. And I guess Adam Pellick decided he couldn't hook the the player ahead of him to take away that scoring chance, as we will often see players do. But I, I'm not sure what else we can do to help correct this in the future. The play moves so quickly. The, the one thing I will note the call on this play was made by the official in the neutral zone. It was not made by the referee who was standing in the corner. Wouldn't he have a better view of the play to make that call? I think, you know, you're looking at, at it from both angles. Uh, I think it's interesting to see, based on the positioning of the officials and what their view is, that your your angle, your perspective is a bit different. I would think that the down low official is watching the puck and the players in front of the net and has the best view of this particular play. But you're right. And good eyes catching that, that O'Rourke called that from about beyond the blue line. Sometimes you're trying to cover and, and make sure that calls aren't being missed. But in this situation, the, the guy down low has got the best line of sight. He's right in front of it. He can see what's going on. And I, you know, I would say that that was his call to make or or not make as the case may be. The, the difficulty is, and I'm not pointing fingers to say, to assign blame. It's, I'm trying to initiate the discussion is how do we do better? How do we avoid making calls that shouldn't be made in, in the future? Maybe there's an opportunity that the two referees could have or should have had a conversation there and said, what did you see? Did, did you see this? I got it from the neutral zone and it looked like goaltender interference. Did you see it the same way from your vantage point? Does that happen frequently or not frequently enough? Maybe. We see it on certain plays. I mean, certainly we see it on puck over glass when the entire collection yes. of players on the ice all become linesmen and decide to point. And then the <laughs> officials gather to make sure they're all seeing the same thing. And we do see it on certain situations and plays around the net. I think the league empowers these officials to make the call. You know, you don't want to be second guessing. You don't want to start saying like, well, what does he have? If I see it, I'm going to call it. And I think that's that's the edict that they give the officials on how to call the game. I think there are opportunities like this where it would be worth a conversation for Saint Laurent to check in with O'Rourke and say, hey, I saw you're calling that one. When I looked mm -hmm. at it from this side, he shoved the guy in. It's no call on my end. We've seen that happen. We've seen guys get pulled out of the penalty box and return to the player's bench right. after the two officials talk it over. Didn't look like that happened in this case, but I, I think there there may be opportunities where you do have different viewpoints and, and it's worth considering, especially when you've got a different call from outside the blue line versus the guy that's on the goal line. Absolutely. It's not about you made a mistake. It's about let's get the call right. Let's have the the, the viewpoints from all points on the ice looked at and, and let's make the right call for this set of circumstances. Now, this may have been simply be they were trying to spend so much time organizing and getting rid of all the players who had piled onto the, the scrum that ensued that it, it didn't occur. But this is something that we could look at because the other alternative is one that nobody wants, except me maybe, more video review. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I would like to see more video review for it, but I think where you have an opportunity in the rule book or or a potential for one at least is looking at the interference penalty. And while we've got a situation here where we've got a guy checking a player into his own goalie. Now, certainly Pellick isn't going to 
be penalized for running into his own goaltender, which is effectively what he did using Braden Point to accomplish that. But mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering if there's more of an opportunity to expand the interference to say for a defending player who pushes an attacking player into the goaltender, we are not only absolving the attacking player of the penalty, but we're going to penalize the defensive player for what is effectively interference by pushing a guy into his old goal, own goaltender. It seems logical. I might love to get a power play or the potentially have a goal waved off, but I'm risking injury to my own goaltender by doing it. And it's a risk reward by some defensemen that I, I don't think are making the best decisions in doing that. So if you did put it on the books that checking an opposing player into your goalie would cause you to pick up a penalty for interference, would that maybe turn the tide a little bit and have players thinking twice about doing exactly what Pellick did on that play? That's a very interesting idea that you have proposed. So essentially, it would be a penalty for interfering with your own teammate. Yes, you would get your, <laughs> you would get a self-imposed goaltender interference hey. penalty. I mean, really, you're you are you are not delivering a legal body check to point. You're not getting the puck away from him. You are shoving him into the goalie in a way that is interfering with him beyond the bounds of a regular play. So. You're using your goalie as the weapon to interfere with him. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a twist on how it's applied, but I think it's applied properly, and I, I think I could get behind that change. You know what this sort of reminds me of? It sort of reminds me of states and jurisdictions that have so much difficulty determining fault in traffic accidents. They've all gone to no fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> Varlamov's insurance company will be reaching out to... <laughs> This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS, get 20% off your order, and get free shipping. Okay. Um, <laughs> as if one great game situation for discussion wasn't enough, we had a second in this same game between the Bolts and the Islanders later on in this game. After all this mayhem has calmed down. The Lightning restored their one-goal lead in this game on a goal by Andre Palat. The thing is, Tampa was also in the midst of a line change while the play moved up the ice and into the Islanders' zone. And when the puck went in the net, it is very clear that there were seven players on the ice. And Josh, I'm pretty sure that's not allowed. No, you're absolutely right, Todd. That's too many guys. Too much, yeah. man. Too many bolts, however you want to phrase it, too many guys on the ice. And I know the, the headline grabber is that there are seven guys on the ice. But even if you want to grant some leeway based on Rule 74, there were still six because the one guy was effectively at the bench and out of the play. Still right. too many men, still something that has to be called in re real time and still something, unfortunately, that was missed. Well, and it, it's the the phrase that quickly came up is that there are many suggesting the the hockey gods evened things up. Well, I'm a hockey atheist, so I don't believe <laughs> that to be the case. I I also, as you said, don't feel the seventh player on the ice had any real impact on the play. So that doesn't excuse the infraction. I'm just pointing out that he, as you did, just he really did not have any impact on the play. So similar questions. How do we solve this? Is there someone perhaps watching from above that can more closely or better monitor the too many players on the ice situation by having that higher angle than the officials on the ice. Is this something to look at? 
Yeah, I think if you were going to put the video referee or the ref in the stands, I think this is one of the things that would be very easily caught by that official. And, and there are some arguments for a few others that they would have a, a better perspective on to come into play. If you're going that route and you want to add that guy up in the booth, I think this would would be a situation you'd see far less or far more penalties for because it would be more easily caught. I don't know that the league wants to go that way. Now, now certainly there are advantages of doing so, but in high profile situations, when a goal is scored on a play and it's a Stanley Cup playoff game, of course, everybody's jumping all over it. But yeah. you made a good point, Todd. You had one guy going off who had no bearing on the play. You had one player who was coming on that had yet to join the play. And you had the extra guy basically at center ice who was leaving the ice at the time who had no bearing on the play. So part of when it comes down to the official's judgment on a too many men call is that they're not impacting the play at the time. And certainly if they check another player, if they initiate contact, if they play the puck, you're getting the whistle blown. But you've you've got some leeway. In this case, the guy was a little bit further than five feet from the player's bench, so I, I see the concern there. But, you know, you're looking to, where's the play? And, and in this case, unfortunately, where are the officials focused that they, they potentially just overlooked the guy at center who had nothing to do with the play, but yes, he was on the ice. And and that's, I guess, where the, the discussion is. How significant was the impact of these additional players on the ice? It, it had no bearing on whether or not the puck went in the net. Right. And I, I know it's a rule that's being violated. And I know there are certain calls that are made that are the referee's judgment. We've seen hooking calls and slashing calls. Sometimes they get let go. Sometimes they're called. And based on the degree of impact or the degree of violence or the game situation, did it change possession? Did it lead to a scoring chance? Was there a turnover? Things like that that factor into those calls. And I'm not talking game management. I'm talking on an individual call level of just saying, yeah, there was a minor hook there, but it didn't impact the play, so I'm not calling it versus you took the guy out and took the puck and that needs to be a penalty. So right. when we're looking at impact, were there too many guys? Sure. Was it impactful? Not at all. Still a, a missed potential penalty call here, but not not something that I think was, say, seven guys in the attacking zone passing around like the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the Isles were not the Washington Generals on this particular uh, on this particular play. But maybe maybe, though, I, I think that simply adding it as a challengeable offense to goal reviews would would solve this if if it rears up ever again. Oh, I don't know how much I love that one. I know we've got coaches challenges. We started with goaltender interference and offside. And then we added missed stoppages in the offensive yeah. zone. So hand pass, puck played with a high stick, those types of things that would have led to a stoppage in play right before a goal was scored. Yes, too many men does result in a stoppage, but yeah. the stoppage is a penalty, not necessarily a stoppage. So it's, it's specifically not included in that rule, but to add it in there, do we want to review a goal to see if there are too many guys on the ice? I I understand where you're coming from. I feel like this is a, a harmless one to add in because if there were too many, it, it's a quick video review. It's a quick shot to see that, yes, there were. I don't know if I love pushing that door to reviews open a little bit further. I mean, it's it's a manageable situation if you did, but I just fear that more and more of those are creeping their way into the video review room. All right. We can agree to disagree on oh, some things. But I'm, not, I just, I'm not saying it's not uh, not worth considering. It's such yeah. an easy one to do. I mean, it's really from from the NHL's viewpoint, your ref in the sky would have it or certainly the league office knows 
hey, right before that goal, just pause it, count, put the numbers exactly. up there. Yeah, we, we got too many. I, it's, it is very straightforward. I just, I'm hesitant to put more reviews in because I, I like that we're down on coaches' challenges. I like that we're, we're getting more game flow and you don't feel like every single goal has to go in front of video review. So I'm, I'm hesitant to add more, but if they did, this is such a fast and easy one to add and, and such that by the time the referees skated over to put on the headsets, they would already know whether or not it was too many men. So maybe if you added it, it doesn't increase the length of the game. It just wipes a few more goals off the board. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll take that as you're open to the idea. <laughs> One more, uh, one more to get to on this week's edition of the Scudding the Rest podcast from the same series. Game three this time of the Lightning and the Islanders. The game went into the second period without a penalty being called. I want to start set up there. A scrum in front of the Tampa goal resulted in one being pulled from the pile. It was Mikhail Sergachev who got the obligatory two minutes for roughing. And of course, the Islanders scored on that power play. That tied the game at one each. Three minutes later, a rather innocuous-looking little pick play by, you guessed it, Adam Pellick of the Islanders, on lightning forward Nikita Kucherov. He got whistled by Eric Furlat for interference. Pellick and others were, let's just say, surprised at the call when similar plays had gone unpunished. Tampa didn't score on the power play, but the puck went into the net four seconds after the penalty was over. There's no way Pelic is going to get back into the play. So as you can imagine, Josh, all sorts of conspiracy theories ran rampant that this was game management. The Isles had a power play, so Tampa had to have one too. I do not believe that to be the case. No, there's plenty of folks who believe that it's going to go one way and the other way. And I know there have been some studies in the past, mathematically speaking, of you're getting the if you got called last time, the other team's getting the next penalty and, and plenty of data to back up how that works out. Now, is it a conspiracy? Not not necessarily. We don't know the dynamic of what's going on in the game. If this has happened before and the officials are warning guys about pick plays and interference and, and the next time it happens, I'm going to call it and then Pellet gets called, well, then that's perfectly reasonable in the scope of the game without looking for conspiracies or anything like that. If anything, I, I prefer that they call this more often. It was interference. I mean, it was a, mm -hmm. a small pick, but he did move his body to prevent access to the puck and, and get in the way of a player who was attempting to retrieve the puck, buying time for his teammate to get it. So by the book, it's a call. I, I think the questions come in on the standard of, well... If this one was called, why were these other situations not? And everyone's different, and, and it's hard to say, but I I think you can't look too hard at, at trying to figure out that it's a conspiracy. And I think that the real takeaway for me is if you know it's a penalty, don't do it because you're going to get called eventually. Or maybe the other guy will get called, but do you want to be the guy who's responsible for it? Because what Pellick did was certainly against the rules. So the obvious question is, do we need more replay? Oh, no. Are we reviewing <laughs> penalties now? <laughs> I thought you I had were, to ask. I thought your question was going to be, hey, is this dependent on Eric Furlat's point of view being the deep official down behind the goal line and what he saw from the front? Because the camera angle we saw was from behind. So was his yes. perspective different? Did that lead him to make this call? Whereas the trailing ref might not have or your referee in the sky might not have because... We in TV land have a different perspective on it than the official who's down in the corner and watching those players skating towards him. So we're looking at it based on a camera angle. They're looking at it at ice level and full speed. Each situation looks different and each situation comes at the officials from a different perspective. So 
what I thought you would go for is does the ref in the sky call this one? And maybe he doesn't. Absolutely. Here's maybe something else that we could look at. We talk about how much the referees and, and linesmen communicate with the players, and they do communicate with each other as best they can, too. You will often see them extend their arms out horizontally from their body to signal there is no infraction. Maybe this is something referees could use as a communication method about penalties. It happens really fast, and maybe there's a way that they can incorporate that. That's an interesting one. It's it's becomes tough to know what you're talking about when you're, oh, when you're watching out. But I, I think there's potential. And I'd love to know how it worked because the Spangler Cup tournament that's held in Switzerland leveraged headset mics for the officials, not for the broadcast, but for each other. And they were able to communicate with each other on the ice and, and mention plays and I'd love to know how that went for those officials and if it's something that the NHL has ever considered, because certainly having the referees able to talk to each other and say, I got nothing on that or no call there and let them know what they're seeing. It does improve official to official communication. And and maybe that just ensuring guys are on the same page offers some kinds of benefit. I mean, it's. It's also a distraction and something that you've got somebody in your ear the entire game. Your voice is in my head. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully it's just from the headset, but uh, it could be the hockey gods speaking directly to you as well. You never know. There you go. That's right. It's it's that's that's how it comes together. So interesting that we've had all these circumstances from this one series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. So are we to assume that everything in the Montreal and Vegas series is perfect? Well, last game it sure was for Vegas. No penalties, no oh. penalties at all. They were they were they were perfect. They were so well behaved in their in their loss to the Habs that night. <laughs> so the Vegas Saints are playing the Montreal yes. Canadiens. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get twenty percent off and free shipping with code Refs at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code Refs. That's R E F S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.